All right, everybody, welcome to episode 106 of the Woso Independent Podcast, maybe our last one for a while, because we are getting into the nitty-gritty of uh, the NWSL Challenge Cup. So today we are going to be talking about uh, what's happened so far in the group stage, as well as kind of our little mini-previews of um, the uh, knockout rounds. Uh, so with me, as always, is John Lipsitz. John, how's it going tonight? Great. Excited to talk about the elimination rounds. Um, you know, obviously, without the drama of having nine teams and trying to figure out who would be left out, um, the only drama that we really got was how many teams were so close uh, for a lot of spots. But uh, now it's time to talk about games that they all matter, but games that decide uh, elimination, and that'll be fun. All right. So the way we're going to handle this is we are going to kind of you know, hop back and forth. They're going to go through each of the quarterfinals in chronological order um, and kind of talk about how each of the teams got to this point, along with our predictions, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, FYI, we are recording this my time, like a little after midnight, Friday, John, still Thursday, my time where he is. Uh, so you may be listening to this like right before uh, The Courage of the Thorns, but that is our first game. Uh, 12.30 p.m. Eastern, so uh, this is this was actually, of course, the match that kicked us off uh, in the group stage, and kind of the common narrative is nobody saw this coming uh, in the knockout round, at least in the quarterfinal of the Courage. I think as pretty much everyone expected, kind of ran the table, went 4-0, uh, clearly the best team through the group stage, whereas the Thorns uh, finished eighth with one, um, with basically... Um, you know, they, they did not win a game in the group stage. Uh, and I think some people thought they would struggle, but I don't think a lot of people thought they would struggle this much, uh, you know, basically getting three draws uh, and essentially a loss to go with that in the opener against the Courage. Uh, so before we kind of dive into, into more detail, details to what these two teams have gone through thus far, what's kind of your overall broad picture of this kind of quarterfinal matchup? Well, I mean, I think it's, um, you know, it, it's a, it's a matchup too soon. I think for fans, for the league, it's a, it's a, of course for TV, a dream final, but we're not going to see that. There's a reason why it was such a great opener. And I, and I think it's really interesting. And, you know, obviously I'm going to pick the courage and I think they're prohibitive favorites, but here's the interesting thing about the thorns. If you look at the chances they've created um, shots on goal corner kicks, I think they're second in corner kicks. Um, they're third or fourth in shots on goal. This is not a team that should be, that should be, you know, eighth. it just doesn't, it doesn't really make sense when you've looked at what they've created. There are other teams that just have not created a thing. And we're going to talk about a game where I think it's two teams that have created almost nothing and are looking at a 0-0 game coming. Um, but Portland has created, and they can create against the best. And so I think it's I think it's a shame, you know? I mean, it is what it is, but I think it's a shame. They just haven't finished. They just haven't found that moment. Um, but I'll tell you, it, it, it you know... Their their story and Bixby and the goal has been fantastic and has been one of the nice surprises of the tournament. In the end, um, 
I just don't think their defense, even though they haven't given up too much, I think it's hard to imagine them being able to hold the courage at bay. I think I would probably at this point pick the Thorns, honestly, against anybody else. I would think hard about, you know, is it 0-0 against Chicago? Uh, The Spirit would be a tough one. But I think so much of the Thorns that I think I'd pick them against anybody but the Courage. Um, Because it's just just a question of not finishing. But what a tough moment to try to change – change your ways against the courage, right? Yeah, I mean, you basically took a lot of my talking points right out of my mouth. Um, and just, just kind of a, another disclaimer, we don't have full in-stat stats for all of uh, for all of the games and all the teams, especially with Sky Blue and uh, the Rain. So I know some of you are happy about that. but um, So we're not going to have a, a full statistical profile, but you know everything you said about them, creating chances but not finishing is backed up by the stats we do have for Portland uh, through three games. I think, I think the three games I have uh, for them were the first three. They created 5.29 XG and scored two goals. Easily the worst you know, mark of the tournament uh, from the data we have. And uh, one of the worst I've ever heard. I mean, honestly, like this is epically bad for how well they've created. Yeah, they're, 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 they're creating 1.76 XG per game through those three games. And that's significant because they almost created 2 XG against the Courage. So it's not like the Thorns did not create anything against the Courage like we've seen other teams you know, that have played the Courage, um, where, they, where they just could not get started at all. The Thorns had opportunities. But like you said, um, the, the thing with the Thorns is that their attack is it, it, it's it's bad in terms of kind of finding that final piece, uh, and that was it, it was really the question because they were already beyond the eight ball because they had changed so many pieces on that front line, you know, basically via the draft, uh, and then Sophia Smith basically is dealing with an injury; he's not going to play. Uh, I, I think you know she was going to be a huge part of this offense. Huge. If we huge. had a, if we had a conventional season you would have to think that she's going to be a full-time starter on this team, and she basically does not play a minute in this tournament. And so that's basically put them in a position where they're depending on a lot of rotation players and, you know, another rookie in Morgan Weaver, and, you know, they've been universally bad. Um, You know, Weaver, she's probably been the best of the bunch, but she's still not really been impressive. Um... Tyler Lucy and Marissa Everett have shown why, you know, they're not full-time starters in this league. Uh, and I think, you know, the most disappointing to me has been Simone Charlie because she's someone that was coming off a season where she was really impressive in Australia, um, but just hasn't really provided a lot in this tournament. And that's kind of, it, it kind of sounds a little weird. My my hot take is I think if anybody's going to beat North Carolina in the knockout stage, it's going to be Portland just because Portland has been creating those opportunities. But I think if that's going to happen, it's going to have to come from something like a moment of Christine Sinclair magic or Lindsay Aran on a set piece, just because I, I really don't have any faith in what the options have been on that front line and all of those youngsters in, in kind of delivering the goods against North Carolina in this knockout stage game. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up how young they are. You know, I think this is something that the public forgets a lot of times. You know, you, you talk about, well, it's hard for freshmen, they go to college and the difference. Well, it's hard for freshmen, you know, go back to high school and the difference. And, well, wait a second, if you're a rookie in this league, you're not talking about playing up against people that could be three years older than you. You're playing up against people that could be much more experience, not three, but five, 10 years of experience of pro lifestyle and workouts and all that. It's a, it's, it's the biggest step there is in a person's career is to suddenly be a rookie in the pros. It is the largest suddenly step up. Now take that in a shortened preseason and a shortened season, and there is no time to grow into it. So I agree with you about Weaver. I mean, did I ever expect a, a Morgan Weaver as a rookie to come in and light this up? No, of course not. And and that would be unfair for anybody to. I, I think she's done tremendous work, um, but she's a rookie. I think Sophia Smith is one of the fr- few rookies as forwards. It's very rare for forwards to score goals in this league. Um, rookie forwards, sorry. Uh, I think Sophia Smith is one of the few. And even in a shortened turn- tournament could have caused some real problems. But um yeah, I, you've just lost too much. I I would not be surprised at all if Simone Charlie gets that special chance. Uh, you just she has played so well leading up to this, uh, but I think you laid it out, you know, perfectly. I, I just think you have Haran, you have Sinclair do something special, but I think they have to score first. I think that if you let um, if, if North Carolina scores first, right? If the Courage score first, now the game opens up more. And you cannot open up against the Courage, especially when you don't have the best back line in the league, okay? I mean, Portland, they've done well in the back, but it's not the best back line in the league. And you're going to play from behind opening up. That is not going to work well. It's just not going to. So I think the the way to win this game is an early goal, uh, they've gotten a lot of corner kicks. They get a corner kick, Haran scores, or it bounces around, and Sinclair or Charlie knock it in. They're up one nothing. They make it to halftime, um, and then they find ways to grind it out and probably find a second in some way and win 2-1 to one or go to PKs. I don't think it'll happen, but I agree with you that there is probably not another team better slated to be, better able to beat the Courage. Yeah, and I, I think it's important you mentioned the defense. I think, um, you know, and, and it has to be said that them losing Becky Sauerbrunn, like, right from the off after that first game is a big blow. Yeah. Um, and, you know, basically, I, I think the interesting thing is, you know, we were probably more worried about their fullbacks uh, than, than the center backs, just because Sauerbrunn and, and Menges were kind of seen as one of the big strengths of this team. And to me, I think one of the pleasant surprises has been how well the fullbacks have played for Portland. Uh, You know, I think it's really interesting that, you know, we were really questioning, well, who's going to fill that gap for, from LA Carpenter leaving at right back. And Kristen Westfall has been one of the best defenders in the tournament. And in my mind, one of the breakout players of the tournament, she's, you know, she was a player that really was drafted way, way too high had these really high expectations right away in Boston. And then she's kind of slowly gotten better each season. And I think, you know, when you're talking about players who have used this competition as a platform to kind of improve their standing in the league, I think Kristen Westfall, you know, definitely fits that bill. 
I'm glad you brought her up. I, I think, you know, she has uh, had some moves, obviously, in this league. I, I think it is fair for people in the past to have said she hasn't lived up to her potential, but that's because I agree with you. She was drafted too high. Um, but now I know we'll do something at the end where we go back. Who did we enjoy watching the most? Which players will break out? Stars, which players, this and that. Westfall is going to be on that list. She has been a fantastic pro, absolutely a fantastic pro. Um, I don't know what more Portland could have expected from her. Uh, and that that just says a lot. But I do think we have to go back to as good as she's been. You lost Brune. You lost Sophia Smith. I mean, these aren't players that opted not to come. These are players that you plan for playing. You think you have a setup, and then suddenly, in addition to the short preseason and all the, you know, the stress and difficulties of playing in the bubble and all that, then you lose your leader like that. I, I think that's rough. I really do, and I think that's the main reason that they are where they are, but they're still very dangerous. I think that one of the really interesting things that you also brought up, Bella Bixby, um, probably in my mind less for this competition, but more for the future. Uh, yeah. we, we know we're going to have that expansion draft coming. Uh, we don't we we don't know the rules. Uh, it could be you know having to protect two players. It could be having to protect one player. Um, but basically, Portland's got a lot of allocated American players, and Lindsey Iran is the non-negotiable in terms of who you're going to protect. You're obviously going to protect Lindsey Iran. But now you're in a situation where you've got Tobin Heath, you've got Becky Sauerbrunn, and you've got A.D. French. Who's that? Who might be that other player you protect? You know, does it become a lot easier to say, well, we're going to protect Tobin Heath now because we're more comfortable with potentially losing A.D. French because we've gotten Bella Bixby and she's shown, you know, she can play in this league. I think it's a little hyperbolic to say she's, she's you know, really at the top tier. I think she's shown that she you know, is in that mix for like being a starter. But you have to wonder if that's one of those things that is going to affect the way, you know, Mark Parsons and, and the management of, uh, thinks about how they game it out for like a year ahead and for the expansion draft and even after that. I mean, talk about things that we never th- thought we'd be saying today. I mean, we didn't go into this tournament ever imagining that kind of a conversation, Chris. Nobody did. I, I was thinking the other day, is this the kind of player who develops year after year after year and at 26, 27, 28 years old gets brought into a national camp? Is this the level of a player that could play for her country at some point? I mean, we don't know. Again, you, you, we way underrate how much players can develop from 20 to 30. We way underrate it. And here, here's and another. I, let, me, let me bridge yeah, off that. Yeah. Just for a second. Goalkeeping, like goalkeeping evaluation by the vast, vast majority of pundits and people out there is terrible. It's horrendous. And you've got someone like Bella Bixby, who, Oregon State, far from a powerhouse. You know, basically when she was there, they were one of the lesser teams in, in the Pac 12. Someone who, you know, you know, basically if you're on a not great team, you're going to get no attention as a goalkeeper in this league. And then Portland has the foresight to bring her in, to develop her, and 
you know, it, it's kind of interesting in the way that, you know, we, we evaluate goalkeepers and, and even value goalkeepers in the draft because, you know, Bella Bixby, um, you know, not drafted and now all of a sudden she's starting in a major competition. I mean, you look at, you know, another team with Michelle Betos, uh, you know, in the rain. You know, she wasn't drafted. Great point. Great point. You know, play in second-tier league in the U.S., play abroad before she got a shot in the NWSL. Uh, So, I mean, you know, it it really does kind of lead you to think about some of the way or some of the ways we evaluate goalkeepers and whether, uh, you know, we need to think about it in a different way. I I also, and, you know, I may have people that really – um, come back at me and say that's absolutely ridiculous. But I think that it is the position where it, when you go pro, you were the farthest behind the, the top level. I really do. If you are the best striker in um, best striker, best you know, 10, best six, best fullback in college soccer, you are pretty ready to be a pro. And we have seen quite a few times that even rookies and second-year players make all NWSL. We've seen that. That is incredibly rare as a goalkeeper. It takes years. And I think it's a position where you see in soccer in general, men's game, women's game, where it takes years and years and years to get your spot and to be ready for that spot. And we've also seen players that have been given it too early and given is the wrong word that have earned it too early, but it's so difficult because of the pressure on that position. And it usually doesn't not go well when players start too early as goalkeepers. So I think it's a wonderful position. I like what you're saying. And I want to see her at 26, 27, 28 years old. And uh, I think you're right. I think it's a position where we have to start evaluating more. What will this person look like? five years from now. Of course, that's hard when you are drafting for a franchise. All right, so let's shift gears and talk about the courage a little bit. Um, I don't know how much I have to say about the courage other than that, you know, basically they're pretty much as good as we expected. Uh, and that, you know, you know, uh, essentially, um, you know, they're by far the best team. And I don't think it's even close. Um, really all of their players that we thought would play well have played well. And, uh, you know, Lynn Williams has played pretty well. Abby Ursek's played great. Um, Denise O'Sullivan, you know, no drop off there. She's been excellent. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, you know, they're the best team here. And I think nothing about them is really a surprise. And, I mean, I don't think there's really been a player that's kind of, you know, jumped out on the team and, and suddenly turned themselves into a superstar. But, you know, at the same time, the players that are that you would expect to play well have played really well. I agree. I mean, I, I think, you know, that the midfield is unbelievable, right? I mean, they have they have a box midfield with four players that just fit. You know, when you have two tens that fit together as well as they do and two sixes that can play off each other like that, Lynn Williams is leading every offensive category, which I want to say is not just because she's on the best attacking team, but because she's creating so much um, and just continues to create opportunities and havoc 
Um, I, you know, I really feel bad that Allie Watt got injured. I think it would have been a really cool thing to see her as a rookie, no pressure on her, get to come in and play with this group and get this experience, but she'll be back. But yeah, I mean, they're just, they're so solid in every position. Uh, and even the young players that have gotten a chance have done well. I, I think that there's an amazing confidence that comes with playing with players at this level and playing with a team that is doing this well, that I think helps young players so much. And that's why the same franchises who build a culture the same, you know, all over the world, uh, teams that build a great culture just keep producing players because it's a great atmosphere to be in. Uh, and I and I like the attitude that they get to have now. I mean, to have Coach Riley say, listen, you know, you've got to battle every single day. We're going to train hard when we're here because you've got to battle for playing time. Once you have that kind of environment and you have that me- as much depth as they have, you just get better every day so much more than other teams. And they have a level of depth for training competitiveness right now that no one even has 50% as much as them. All right. So final prediction for this game. Uh, I mean, it seems kind of obvious. I'm going with the courage, of course. What score are you going? Let's really oh. get in the weeds here. <laughs> um, it's hard. I mean, I'm going to go to hard one. Yeah, I'm gonna go two one. I think, I think, um, I think the courage will score two goals, and then Portland will open up and, and get a scrappy uh, goal there. But I think it'll it'll finish two one to the courage. Well, you're killing me because that's what I was gonna. I get to go first next time because I was gonna do exactly two to one. So what I will do because I thought it was gonna be two to one is obviously single elimination. You've got to open up and throw everything forward when it's two to one. And because of that, North Carolina scores in the last five minutes on a breakaway because it's so wide open. So I'll go three one, but the game will feel like a two one game. All right. Uh, so let's move on to the second game. Houston and Utah. This is the nightcap for Friday. Uh, so it's kind of interesting with Houston because they came out, looked like they were going to kind of steamroll Utah early on. And their opener basically blew it with two really, really dumb goals to give up and ended up drawing that game. But then they come out, they beat O.L. Reign, uh 2-0. They, um, and then, you know, then they kind of took a step back. They lost to Sky Blue 2-0, which was a shock result considering the form of the two teams before that. And then, um, and then they lost to the Spirit um, in, in their kind of finale. Um, so what do, we, what do we kind of think about the dash, you know, first of all, coming into this matchup? You know, here are the positives about the dash uh, for me. My positives for them are, first of all, they know how they want to play. They have the players to play that way. Um, they can press, they can counter well, they have exciting athletic players. Uh, and I think that when things work well, when they're, you know, rested, everything is going well, I think you can really see something coming together for now and for the future, which I mean, I think is really, really important. Um, 
And so in that way, I think uh, that's a real positive. The negative of it is they have no depth. I mean, we've said this before, and they've just been worn down. It, you know, you made the joke about typical typical dash because they always start strong and then tail off. But we're talking about seasons, yeah. And I almost tweeted back, yeah, they always beat Chicago in the opener and then they fall apart. Um, I mean, I just to see their how how exciting they are on the attack. But then you get down into the little details, right? They're averaging like two shots on goal per game. That's not a lot. You know, that's really not. They're averaging only three corners per game. If they're really getting into the dangerous spots, they're going to get more shots on goal. They're going to get more corners because they have to because, Chris, they're an attacking team. They cannot rely on sitting back and being a defensive team. So if they're going to have these exciting attacking personalities, why are they not getting more out of it? And I and I just think they don't have the depth to get it done. Do they have it enough to get done in the first game? Uh, I mean, I'll give you the prediction. I think it's a good matchup for them for sure. But um, I don't think they have enough to go far just because they're going to continue to get worn down as we go forward. Yeah. I, I think my thing with them is, you know, you look at three games we have in Insat so far, and they're giving up 1.56 XG defense, which is the worst of any team, you know, that we have. And again, we don't have complete data. Um, And I mean, they do create opportunities, 1.15 XG average. Um, But it's, it's really hard when you're giving up that much in terms of XG and not get bit, you know, every so often. And I think we, we saw that, you know, multiple times in the group stage. Um, I think they're not being helped out by their goalkeeping at all. Uh, there is absolutely no way they should have not gotten the win against Utah. Uh, yeah. I mean, basically, you know, you, you look on Twitter and, and the fiasco about the wall for the second goal. It's, it's been well-trod territory at this point. But then, I mean, the third goal to me is just as egregious when you're letting a ball bounce basically five yards from the goal. One of the cardinal sins of set-piece defense is don't let the ball bounce in your area. Um, and, I mean, to me, that's that's on the goalkeeper. Uh, and I've said it over and over again that, you know, Jane Campbell is... You know, I don't think she's the answer for being a long-term goalkeeper here. And I also said on Twitter, um, I thought it—I thought it would be ridiculous if they did not at least give Lindsey Harris, you know, one game and goal in the group stage to find out what they have in her after they signed her, and they didn't do it. Um, so I, I can't really explain that. Uh, on a more positive note, I think that uh, the offense, when it's working, is really, really exciting. I love the way that Mewis, Daly, and Groom have kind of basically been able to integrate themselves and the chemistry they have, and they're really fun to watch whenever they're working. Uh, Christy Mewis is probably going to be in the mix for being one of the one of the like, best 11. I don't know if they have a best 11 award in, in this competition, but if they do, she's definitely going to be in the mix for that. Um, okay. I think Rachel Daly has been... You know, she was extraordinary in the first game. I think she's tailed off a little bit after that. But 
She's solid. I think Shea Groom has shown what she can provide. Uh, I think Katie Stengel, her stats don't really showcase it all that much, but I think she's, um, but I think she's definitely made a difference in terms of having that forward that can hold up the ball. Um, but like you said, what's their plan B if it's not working out? And you basically said it. You know, they don't have a lot of depth. Um, you know, Veronica Lasko hasn't really done that much. Um, you know, Nichelle Prince has been okay. Um, but, I mean, you're not really getting that much out of CC Kaiser, Riva Sali. So, I think, I think the game, this game is kind of a situation where if they can kind of sh- stamp their authority on the, on the match really early and show that they're in control, I think they've got a really good chance of winning this game. But if they give up a cheap goal early, if it's not working out for them early, uh, I think they're not going to win this game. Uh, I agree. I think that they need to score early. Look, they, as you said, they're very fun in the attack, but they give up way too much defensively to be able to win a game one nothing. They need a 3-2 game. They are built for a 3-2 game. Uh, we all know that's who they are. So can they do that? I think this is a matchup where they can. I really think this is a game where they could come out and find it. But uh, for me, it's one of the most interesting games of, of the entire cup because I think both teams will be looking to do very, very different things. Both love to attack. So if they're willing to open up and with different shapes and different ideas of play, uh, I think it could be a 3-2 game and I think it could be a lot of fun. But Houston has to have that. If they don't score two, they have no chance. And I think they may need three. Yeah, I think I think the thing with me defensively is, you know, we saw how much Megan Oyster means to this team uh, in yes. that game where she didn't play, and um, you know, I don't know why they went away from Allie Prysock at right back because she played really well there. Agreed. But I mean, they played Aaron Simon like, and you know, she was she was a disaster against Ashley Sanchez. Uh, and I mean, that's just that's a bad matchup that, you know, yeah. now there are some things where you go, well, maybe listen, there are lots of things coaches can do. I want to see blank versus blank because it'll tell me about the future. Right. I want to give this person rest and I don't care because everyone advances. I think there were some coaching decisions that were made knowing all eight teams advanced. I think it just changed the dynamics a little bit. But I just thought that was a bad matchup. I just, it was never going to work out. And so I was surprised when you're sitting there sort of figuring out how are we going to do game after game after game. That's just one I would have tweaked differently for sure because that that was going to go poorly from the beginning. Yeah. And just the, their styles do not fit. And I'll point out again, Houston paid a transfer fee and, and that kind of new monetary system or whatever, you know, for Aaron Simon. And, you know, I panned the decision at the time and, you know, it really didn't make any sense to put her up against Ashley Sanchez, who was, you know, pretty darn good. Uh, well, and the problem well, is that Ashley Sanchez's greatest quality is just flat out dribbling. 
I mean, that's just who she is. She was the best dribbler in the college game, and she's one of the best dribblers in the NWSL already. And she's a wide player. And you're you were allowing Simon to be isolated, and it did not play to her strengths. I just I just didn't like the way the setup happened. All right, so let's pivot to talk about Utah a little bit. As a reminder, they, of course, drew with a dash in the opener, beat Sky Blue 1-0, uh, lost to O.L. Reign 1-0, and then in the finale, lost to Chicago 1-0. Uh, so that's a lot of 1-0s. Um, I think Utah's been better than I expected them to be. And I think a lot of that is down to some of their older players like Amy Rodriguez, Vero, Diana Matheson, um, being pretty good. I think they, they've shown they still have a lot in the tank. Uh, and that was absolutely necessary if they were going to be good in this tournament. They were going to have to get a massive contribution from some of their more experienced players. And I think that's doubly impressive because Kelly O'Hara basically has, has been off the bench in one game uh, in game four. But, you know, largely it's... Um, you know, it's been to, up to some of the other players. We've seen Amy Rodriguez has been really, really good. Uh, Vero, with the exception, she Vero was pretty bad in the last game, but she's been pretty good otherwise. Uh, Diana Matheson, um, you know, especially coming back from her injury problems. Has yeah. Been good. Um, and, you know, basically, they've gotten some impressive contributions from players like Elizabeth Ball, who was kind of seen as... Um, you know, one of the throw-ins in that trade with Thorns or Becky Sauerbrunn, she's been excellent. Um, and I think that they've adapted really well to a three-back. Um, and, and let me let me go out on a limb and just, you know, or get on my soapbox and just say, you know, stop being dazzled by a team playing three at the back. Um, you know, from, from reading some tweets and listening to people, uh, you know, you would have think that you would have thought that nobody on earth has played like a three back in the last, <laughs> like in the men's professional game and in the college game, you know, you see a three back all the time. Oh, uh, you know, to me, it, it would have been more of a story if they had played like a stock four, four, two. But I mean, it's worked out pretty good for them. In my opinion. Um, at the same time, you know, they, if it's not working with A-Rod and Vero, if that connection's not happening, they're really, really limited on the offense. Um, and that's kind of my big worry, like in this game, because this is game five. Um, and I know they rested A-Rod. I know Vero only played a half. But game five, altitude, uh, you know, do they still have that in the tank to kind of de- deliver you know, goals at a performance like this, in a game like this, because if it's not happening from A-Rod and Vero, you know, I, I kind of struggle to see where the offense is going to come from, even against a team like Houston that doesn't have the greatest defense in the competition. Uh, so a couple things for me. First of all, I want to talk about that 3-5-2 issue just a little bit. You're right. I mean, people have made it out to be like this is some bizarre, unbelievable thing uh, as if we don't watch it every day on TV around the world, okay? It's not a bizarre thing. However, I do want to say from a coaching's perspective, to come in, have very limited time with your group, 
and decide to do something so different there than has been done before with those players. I think is pretty cool, right? Again, it's not outlandish. It's not crazy. But it is a decision where you know if you do that and you're awful, people are then going to say, why did you do that? You're dumb, blah, 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 whatever. So I do like the coaching move. I like the a little bit of bravado there to say, this is what fits our players and this is what I'm going to do. So I do want to give a compliment to the coaching there, even though it's not a radical thing. Um, second of all, I've really enjoyed watching A-Rod. I, I've just, you know, I, I'm reminded why I enjoyed her so much with the national team and so many years before. Um, and you just can see her, you know, a, a player that was known sort of back in, in college and that time for being very difficult to coach, um, you know, for whatever reason, being an, a tremendous leader and just such a great, you can just see her as a teammate and how much she's pushing and encouraging. It's just, I just think it's really cool to watch. I enjoy those stories. I, I'm going to say for me, Utah has been one of my favorite teams to watch. And I think it's a combination of things. One, um, they're trying to go forward. They are trying to go forward. They're not playing a 3-5-2 that's really a 5-3-2 the entire game. You know, that's the irony is people talk about, oh, three backs, you're just taking all these risks. The truth is a lot of teams with three backs sit in a five, and it's actually an incredibly defensive shape. And I wish people would know that, but whatever. Because you're playing three center backs, um, not a not a right back, a left back, and a center back. So it's a lot of times more defensive. What I love is they've really used it to attack. And I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed seeing something a little new with some players. I've enjoyed A-Rod. I've enjoyed um, their possession with a purpose to go forward. Uh, and I think the last reason, Chris, that I've really enjoyed them is because, yes, it surprised me. Um, we did not expect to see them do this well. And so I think that's fun. And it's fun to see a team be surprising in a positive way and move up. And they're probably the team to me that has been most surprising in the positive way. So that's been fun for me to watch. To be fair, I did pick them sixth. <laughs> uh, you did pick them sixth. Which I mean, I did. I did say that they. I was probably the high vote on them because I thought they had a lot more talent than people were giving them credit for. I didn't think they would be probably this far along in terms of their evolution, um, you know, under Craig Harrington. But um, well, know. and I want and I want to say, Chris, when you predicted that they could do well, one of the big things you talked about is it just. I remember you saying it just has to go right. A-Rod and Vero have to click. It has, everything has to work. And I think you laid out a, a way that they could be exciting and fun and do well. And that has come true. So, I mean, I think that, you know, we're going to be talking about a team later, the uh, OL Reign, who is third, and yet I think has been almost the opposite. Um, the irony of so few games and such close standing. So for me, I've really enjoyed them. Um, you know, I think you hit it on the head, Chris, like that there was something there and good for them. Question is, how will they do now? All right. So that's a very good lead into our prediction. Uh, I've gone back and forth on this one so many times. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I was kind of initially of this mindset where I thought, well, 
it seems like everyone is so far off the Houston Nash's bandwagon now that they're going to rebound and come back um, just to show everybody that, you know, they were wrong and that we're dealing with such a small sample size here. We, we kind of tend to overreact like to every little detail. I mean, after like two games, everybody was all like, well, the dash are, uh, you know, one of the better teams in this competition. They've made huge strides. You know, they're, they're much, much, much better than everybody thought they'd be. And, and they won one out of four games. Yeah, and then it seems like after these last few performances, it feels like the bandwagon has been abandoned a little bit. Um, that being said, um, I think, you know, well, first of all, I think this could be the most exciting game. Note, note I didn't say the most well-played game because I think it might be the least well-played game, uh, as four or five matchups often are. Um, I think there are going to be goals in this game. Um, but at the end of the day, I think Utah is better coached. Um, I will take Craig Harrington over Clarkson any day of the week in the coaching department. Uh, and I just think if the Dash's plan A doesn't go right, um, then I, I think they're in trouble. And, you know, Utah has shown that their defense, on their day, they can shut teams down. They, you know, have they basically held the Red Stars and they held, um, you know, O.L. Reign to, to very, very few opportunities. I know the Dash, you know, created a lot of opportunities, you know, themselves against, um, against Utah. And Utah were lucky to draw that game. Um, but at the same time, I just think, you know, it comes back to that issue we talked about with the Dash where, they seemingly catch teams by surprise early on in seasons, and then they get figured out, and basically they they just don't know how to respond. And that's something I brought up before, and I brought up on Twitter again this week. And I just think it's true, you know, even in this circumstance. And I think, and I think Utah will win. All right, so I'm going to bring up one last thing about Utah: Abby Smith and goal. It's been fun, hasn't it? He uh, has done well. I don't I rate, mean, I mean, quite frankly, I don't rate either goalkeeper. Okay. I have so enjoyed Abby Smith playing high uh, off of her line and playing with a true three. And here is my dream. The two of them are phenomenal on penalty kicks. If I were going to pick two goalkeepers in this entire tournament – and I had to win a game with penalty kicks, it would be these two goalkeepers. It is their greatest strength. So I got to see it. I'm going 2-2. I'm going to penalty kicks. And I am saying in penalty kicks, 4-3 Houston. And they advance. 2-2, on the penalty kick shots. All right. Uh, Is that specific enough? Yeah. (laughs) There's no extra time in these knockout stages. After 90 minutes, we go straight to penalties. And that's why this is my dream. I want this game to go to PKs. Which, and and I will say this, that makes it easier for substitute goalkeepers for penalties. Basically, and, and, and and the fact that we have five substitutions in three windows. Uh, so that's going to be something I'll be interested in seeing, uh, you know, especially as, as, you know, if any of these games go to penalties and, 
in irony of irony, there have been no penalty kicks in the group stage. Well, so I uh, probably Chris, Chris, I'm going to argue with you about semantics a little bit here. There have been no penalty kicks called. (laughs) That's what I'm going to say. You are correct. there, I will there have been say no this penalty overall. kicks called. There've been no penalty kicks taken. <laughs> I will. I will say this overall. The refereeing has not been a disaster. As no, I think only one game. It, I think there was one game that was really just bad, and besides that, I think it's been quite good. Yeah, and, and considering the history of this league with refereeing, that's a minor miracle. Great um, point, and that um, MLS is back is at the same time, which I'm sure pulled some discussions of who was going where and that, I mean, uh, I know a great referee for the NWSL that is at MLS right now. Um, and I don't know how that was worked out and all that, but, uh, I think considering, uh, a really tight protocol there, I think it's gone well. Trust me as like, seriously, as an Atlanta United supporter I'm, I'm trying to purge mls back from my mind right now yes um, you should be yeah it, for, i was just watching i don't i hope columbus held on they were up to nothing when uh for, for uh, them yeah I, for those who don't know uh you know about mls is back in Atlanta united it's it's not going well um <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right so let's move on to saturday's games uh the opener is washington and sky blue um by the way sorry to interrupt Two nothing final for the crew. You know, I was there when they start. I was at the first game ever played. Um, it was played in Ohio State, and where Ohio State plays, go crew. Okay, go. Cool. I will say this: Atlanta United doesn't like either team. You know, if, if we're being True. perfectly honest, so. True. Um, but we probably don't like the Red Bulls more. So. Right. All right. So Washington Sky Blue. Um, so, Spirit beat Chicago in the opener. Lost to the Courage, uh, drew with the Thorns, and then beat, um, and then beat the Dash in their finale. Um, so, you know, the Spirit are are kind of what we expected them. I mean, we expected from them. We expected them to pass the ball around a lot. We expected them to be one of the better teams, you know, here out of the competition. And they're the second seed. Um, but at the same time, I think the thing that would make me a little hesitant about picking them to spring an upset and win this whole thing is that when we saw them play the Courage, they they were clearly second best. Um, and I think my overall kind of general thought with them is that I think they're a little better than I thought they would be in this competition, but I still think they're a long way off from challenging North Carolina. Well, and, and that's the interesting thing. I think it's fair to say that they've been the second best team, and yet they're not the first, second, or third team, or certainly not the first or second team that I would pick to beat uh, North Carolina. And, and here's why I'll say that. I think they are young, talented, exciting um, I think that they have a great culture because they have some leaders, but then they have a whole lot of players that are close to the same age that have known each other before uh, that are very close. And I think that that really makes a big difference. 
they obviously have some real personality players. Hatch has played well. You're seeing her grow into the league, and it's taken time like it does, but she's uh, coming into her own. All these positives. But if you're going to play against the best, you have to have something better than them. And the problem is Washington Spirit, with three or four more years of experience, if they could all stay together, now you're playing who the courage is today. Now you're trying to get to that level. But all you are is similar type of players at a lot of positions with less experience, and that just won't get it done. So I agree with you, even though I think they're clearly have been the second best team. They're the only team besides North Carolina with more than one win. I, I don't I don't pick them as one of the teams to beat North Carolina. Yeah, and especially with Andrew Sullivan out now. Yeah, and what a shame. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, since you brought that up, um, you know, I, I feel horrible for Andy Sullivan. I mean, she was sort of led astray that she had to leave Stanford early to have a chance to make the World Cup team. And then after making that massive sacrifice, then she doesn't get picked. So why was she pushed and basically forced to do it? Um, I mean, it just, and now, you know, in, and then injuries or the ACL right after national camp in college, it's just, you know, she is, she is one of the future superstars of our full team. If she can just get healthy over time. And it's just such a shame because I think people, some people have forgotten exactly how good she is. She will if she can be healthy long-term, be one of the 90 minutes every game starters for the full team, the way Mewis, Haran, people like that are now. And, I mean, I think the thing is, she showed in the games this tournament, uh, you know, kind of with the exception of the game against the Courage, I think she showed really, really well. I agree. And I, mean, I agree. And I, and, I mean, the thing, you know, as you mentioned, it's just the injuries that seem to be, kind of piling up right now um and when we're talking about center mids the u.s women's national team it's it's just tons and tons of competition and um you know and, and you know hopefully uh you know she's able to heal up you know whenever the 2021 season is going to get started and the thing is there's not going to be international soccer at least involving the u.s yeah. for a long yeah. while um, so there's time to heal. Um, but I mean, once you subtract her from the equation, um, you know, it, it, I think it's going to be hard for the spirit to compete with the courage if they get to that point. Cause, um, of course that's the number two seed. The only time they could be in the knockout stages in the final. Um, you know, to me, I think, I, I think when we, when we look at the spirit, most of the players that we thought would play well have played well. I think Aubrey Bledsoe has been pretty good. Uh, yep. You know, it seems like people are finally coming around to the fact that Paige Nielsen is a really, really good center back. Um, I think Slobin was great. Um, you know, Rose... Can I ask you... I'm sorry to interrupt you. Can yeah. I ask you a question? I've yeah, always thought Paige Nielsen was good. Okay? A really good player. Have I been wrong and missed it, or is she just better than ever like to me she's taken another jump and i know you've always been a big fan and noticed her more than me and you can just put this on me but i just feel like she's always been a good player but i'm seeing something a whole nother level so tell me i'm wrong now and i've missed it but i i really want to know what you think 
look, I, I basically said last year that she should have been on one of the best 11 teams, if not the first team, then the second team, because she was that good. Uh, and I, I just think she didn't, you know, she didn't, she suffered because she didn't have that kind of reputation as some of the other players right. that made that team, which was ridiculous. That's another matter entirely. Um, but I mean, as, has she taken the next step? Um, I would say like, my answer would be no, because I, I, f- I think she's been at that level for a while and people just have it. That's what I'm asking. So, so Vlatko's sitting there. And he and we we can't have a camp, but there could be a camp in a month, right? Wouldn't she be one of those players that gets called into a bigger camp now? Just to, I mean, because this that's what it's about, right? Blocko gets to sit there. He's watching people in their own teams and their own element. I mean, I feel like she has been at that level in this tournament. Where hey, let's bring her in. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's. You know, to me, she's clearly the best defender on that back line. I don't think it's even close. Um, you know, I think, but I think, you know, in some circumstances, some people still regard Samantha Staub as kind of the star of that back line. And I think Nielsen has really, really outplayed Staub. Uh, yeah. you know, to this and Staub's good. Nothing yeah, Staub's Staub good. I, I, don't I, think, mean. I don't think Staub's been great in this tournament, but I think she's been good. But I mean, I think Nielsen has been, you know, out of this world. She's um, another level. I agree. Okay, yeah, thank you. Kind of pivoting from that, I think. I think the one player that's really stepped up is Bailey Feist, uh, yes. and, and kind of not just because of that goal in the fourth game. I think she's been pretty good, you know, throughout this tournament. You know, another player that let me let me just say Wake Forest. They they're not a program that's you know that's really kind of at the forefront of the ACC, but they they really you know produce a lot of really good pro players. Yeah, um, you know we've seen Madison Hammond catch on with the rain. Um, you know, obviously everybody knows about Bledsoe and Stangle, but I mean Bailey Feist has really kind of stepped it up and is really a player um, that I think kind of digging back to the expansion draft talk. You know, from early in the podcast is a player where you know had no profile coming into this tournament. And now you're asking yourself, well, you know, do we you know take a risk and you know leave her to be exposed in this expansion draft because she might get taken because She's played really, really well to this point. Well, I mean, I will tell you, for Bailey Feist, I'm a massive fan, and I will admit that I am completely biased, okay, because I coached her when she was 16, 15, 16 years old on the regional team um, down in Boca when everyone did ODP. And one of the things that I always remarked about her in her evaluations was she was going to continue to develop because she simply outworks everybody and plays every day with so much passion. She just wanted to be great. And, you know, you mentioned Wake Forest. I mean, I've seen how they train and they have great technical training, great coaching, and, and they're developing players that can play at the next level. So I think it was a perfect fit for her, and and uh, it's just really cool to see people that you know didn't get all the accolades when they were younger just continue to do the work because they knew they could be great. And so that's it's great. I'm glad you mentioned her. Yeah, and I think you know, kind of in the broad picture, um, you know, it's kind of interesting because you look at their XG stats, uh, and they're kind of middle of the road in each mm-hmm. department. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not, and you know, don't get me wrong, it's not a bad team, bad thing, because there have been teams in this competition that have been really, really good on offense, bad on defense, and kind of vice versa. Um, 
the thing that I kind of worry about is a lot of their players that we haven't mentioned kind of run hot and cold, rev run hot and cold in this tournament. Uh, Rose Lavelle was, was spectacular in that first game. Yeah. But then against the Courage, he was basically invisible. Um, you know, you look at Tori Huster, two really, really good games, two kind of very average games. Ashley Sanchez, pretty good for most of the games, but basically did nothing against the Courage. Uh, Ashley Ash, again, really bad against the Courage, really good in that first game. And I think what ultimately is going to decide whether this team, you know, gets to the final and maintains their seating um, is can they play consistently over those couple of games uh, and, and reach the final? Um, however, I will say, I think this is a pretty good matchup for them, you know, in the quarterfinal. Um, but at the same time, there is a lot of passing and sometimes there's not a lot of finishing. And the thing I worry about is, is this team going to feel a whole lot of pressure as a second seed against a seventh seed if we get to like minute 75? And it's still 0-0. Zero, zero. Um, and, I mean, they've got a shot in a shootout with Aubrey Bledsoe, but, you know, is that weight of expectation going to weigh this team down when they've never really been in that this position before where a lot is expected of them uh, in the here and now? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question for a lot of young players, right? I mean, first of all, just overall, I want to say, I think it's really cool that um, – you know, from a coaching standpoint, this is who we are. This is the way we're going to play. They've stuck with it and they've done well. And I think they've been extremely well coached. I really do. Um, I think that, you know, you have all these young players, you know, if Tegan McGrady is healthy, she's going to in the future be a 90 minute left back for them. Um, Andy Sullivan comes back. And so I just keep looking to the future and go, okay, so let's say exactly what you say happens here. So, you know, you mentioned it could. You get 70, 75th minute. Now you get tight. Uh, New Jersey plays for PKs, and they go out in PKs. I don't think it's going to happen, but let's say it did. That would only be fuel for the future, because this isn't a whole season. This is just a quick month of work. Uh, whatever happens, whether they advance or if they don't, it is a great lesson for the future. I think we're looking at a team of the future that's not quite there yet. But when you, if you're going to go through all the teams and go, who do you want to see? Again, of course, expansion, expansion is an issue. Who would you like to see two years from now with this roster? I mean, I think then Washington could be winning the whole thing. Um, but they're just, they're not there yet. But boy, do I think they win this game. I just, I do not see this. I think, I think this is the easiest of the four to predict. I really do. I think it is the biggest mismatch of the four, and I think it's clearly Washington's game. Yeah. Uh, so it's a pretty good pivot to Sky Blue. Uh, so Sky Blue, the results: draw with O.L. Rain, uh, lost to Utah, lost to the Dash. Or excuse me, they beat the Dash. Uh, and then lost to the Courage. Um, so again, Sky Blue is one of the teams we don't really have a lot of data on. Uh, you know, don't look at us. Uh, we're, we're limited to what we have from Instat. Um, but I mean, just the eye test. Uh, they are not a very fun team to watch offensively. And it, it seems like, and keep in mind, every team you know has chemistry issues at this point, probably except for the Courage. 
uh, just because circumstances of the tournament, you no preseason preseason games, and, and basically you're you know you're at being asked to come together uh, really really quickly. Um, but I mean, la- I think some people would accuse him of like having a lack of offensive ambition or a plan. Um, you know, you're you basically you're basically leaving you know, Mitch person of the Amani Dorsey, like, as fullbacks. Um, you know, why don't you go the Houston Dash way and just go for it? Um, and, I mean, you know, there have been some surprises. I think Jennifer Cudjo has been a pleasant, pleasant surprise. I think Sabrina Flores okay. is fine. Um, but, I mean, just to me, some of the coaching has been really, really questionable. And, my big question is that final game when you have Kojo on a yellow, Waldmo on a yellow, um, Cervoni on a yellow, Purse on a yellow. You start those three midfielders. Uh, I don't think you know they didn't start Purse. And knowing if they get booked, they're there, and quite frankly, there were some fouls there where they could have easily been booked. Um, <laughs> Knowing that they would miss the quarter, knowing they would miss the quarterfinal, and my question is why? Why are you doing that? Especially when the Courage are playing their their starter for the most part. What are you going to gain out of basically playing most of your starters when many are in danger of a yellow card? Basically, when you should be rotating to to make sure your best players are fresh for the quarterfinal, and you basically. St- still lose going away to the courage and still end up in seventh. What do you gain from that opportunity? And I just, I think it was a really poor job of risk management. And, you know, it, it really raises questions on, you know, do they have the right management right now? Well, I think, I think one of the weirdest moments was the Houston game. And what did that do to their belief in themselves? And, and let, let me tell you what I mean by that. So, Everybody was saying before that game, listen, every other team that we watch play, we can tell exactly what their plan is. But we have no idea what they are trying to do. What is it that Sky Blue is trying to do to be successful? We don't see it. And this isn't a team that can play like Washington or the rain with, you know, 500, 600 passes and create offense. It's not who they are. So why don't they sit in? Why don't they counter? Why don't they throw numbers forward on the counter like Houston? Be fun, be exciting, all of this. And so that was a criticism. Well, then they go out against Houston, the exact comparison that was being made, and they beat them. And my feeling is when that happened, it became, wait a second, we're there. We're ready to compete with everybody. And there is no other reason to have started those players and to have played them those minutes against the courage unless you thought you had a chance to get a point in that game. Because if you're not getting a point in that game, it makes zero sense. Zero. So, you know, look, we did this to Houston. Maybe we can hang in this game. And in the end, like you said, you end up, you know, you end up down there anyway. You know, you end up in seventh anyway. What did you gain by doing that? And they didn't get a point, but they didn't need it. And so I guess my con- I, I'm, I'm with you. I think, ironically, that result both helped them and hurt them. 
the result helps them because they just need wins. They just need success. They just need moments of belief. And if they just lose every game, it's hard to have that. But at the same time, the ease at which they won that game, the as poorly as Houston played and as well as Sky Blue played, I'm not sure long term it gave them the model for success that they need. Because if they play that same style with these players, they're not going to win a lot of games. So I just I think they're stuck still trying to figure out who they are and they need to decide and stick with it. Yeah, or, I think- or have a style that works and stick with it. I don't think the way they play right now, Chris, is going to give them long term success. Well, I mean, it kind of ties back into what I, what I talked about kind of in the preview of this, where they, they just don't have creativity. No. Uh, and to that mind, if you don't have creativity, you've got to play on the counter. And it's just, it just, right. seems, like, it, it, it just seems like they don't kind of have a plan right now. Um, well, when you look at these eight teams, right, and you look at these eight teams and you say, okay, how should – we know there are going to be injuries. We know people are going to opt out. We know this. We know that. But what is the best chance to be successful? What I'm impressed with, and I already said I really enjoyed about Utah, is, hey, this is what fits our players. We're going to go for it. Yes, it's different than the way other people are doing it, but this is what fits us. And if it works, we're most likely to be successful. I don't think that's what Sky Blue has done at all. And I, so, you know, what does Portland do? Portland is creating chances. What does Houston do? Well, listen, Houston's given up a lot of chances, but all right, we're going to freaking go for it and have fun. So I'm with you. I, 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 I'm really interested, and I think we need to talk after this game to see if something has been changed. Yeah, and I mean, at the same time, they, in terms of overall talent out of all the teams here, they're eight of eight. Uh, I don't yeah. I, mean, I don't think there can be any argument for that. It's just, you know, with some teams, you know, as you mentioned with like Utah, you feel like they're maximizing the results from the resources they have. With Sky Blue, even though we, we think they're eight of eight in terms of talent, you just don't feel like they're kind of making the best use of the players that they have to this point in the tournament. Correct. Now, that being said, they have been tremendously successful in getting their fan base back, which was critical because, boy, did they alienate their fan base. They are selling gear. They are uh, being talked about in positive ways. They clearly treat their players very differently than the debacle that, I mean, I can't believe they didn't get thrown out of the league multiple times. Um, and I think that this, just that, is really enough this year. What do they need this year? They need the fans back. They need the culture back. But what worries me long-term is expansions coming. Who are they going to look like next year? What are they going to do with the draft? So, I mean, it'll be interesting, but that's a discussion for probably January. All right, so... Or they could just have a huge upset. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, And... This leads me to my prediction. Uh, I predict Spirit are going to win 1-0, um, where Spirit have to end up huffing and puffing a lot to get that one goal, but you know, basically where it never looks like they're in any real danger to concede. Uh, I think the Spirit win 2-0, and I think it's more likely to be 3 than 1. I'm going 2-0. All right. 
um, final matchup. Chicago in, in rain, or OL rain. Um, I think the big question, in addition to who's going to win this game, is is it going to be watchable? Um, because, you know, early results from these two teams, uh, you know, they are two punishing teams to watch, teams to watch. Um, Chicago and the grisly truth uh, about Chicago um, in terms of their XG. I mean, listen to these numbers. Um, game one, 0.96 XG created against the Spirit, uh, created 0.53 against the Thorns, uh, and then 0.48 against the Courage, uh, and 0.59 against the Royals. Uh, I will say the defense did come around against the Royals, but overall, if you look at their XG differential, uh, it's 0.62 average XG generated and 1.50 XG against. Uh, that's minus 0.88 overall. That's, that's really, really bad. I think they were under minus 1.00 um, you know, heading into that last game. But it's not a situation where like, you have Portland where they're actually creating chances. It's just they can't finish. Uh, with Chicago, it's kind of a situation where they can't finish and they can't create. And to make matters worse, the defense is giving up way, way too many chances. Um, and they just haven't been punished for it to this point. Yeah, I mean, they have eight shots on goal in four games. It's last of all the teams. Uh, Sky Blue has one more. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if you saw the, the interview with, with Coach Dames yesterday or it might have been this morning where he said, yeah, we're, we're, we have to create. We have to have chances. We have to take shots. Um, I, I think that last year it was so clear how they were going to play. It was so obvious how they were going to play. Um, and things fit, not just with Kerr, but the whole thing just fits so well. And it's all new. And it is probably the team that has clicked the least um, for their talent in the attack. It just has not clicked yet. Uh, and, and you can see that with the XG. Now, this is a team that can lock people down. And this is a team that you can honestly believe shutting, shutting out everybody. And so that's the interesting thing that I find about this, this game, which is, you know, we said the rain could be a surprise team. I don't think they've played well. And yet suddenly they're the third seed. I mean, how does that happen? So, you know, I, I, I put on Twitter today, I don't think I should get any credit for saying they were going to be a surprise team and came in third because I actually don't think they played well. So this is just a game that is screaming one, nothing to me. I think rain will try to pass Chicago out of the park I think Chicago was going to just sit in and make sure they don't give anything up. And I think it will be one of the most tactical, um, don't make a mistake, find one moment, win one nothing on a set piece, go home games. Like you see a lot of times, you know, in the World Cup, you see it in early matchups where no one wants to mess up. I think we're going to see this in this game. So I just, it's a zero, zero, one, one, nothing game all over it. Cause I can't imagine more is going to be created. Yeah. I think, I think my general thoughts of Chicago, you know, in kind of heading into this matchup are, 
their best players are better than the rain's best players, but their yep. worst players are worse than the rain's worst players. So you kind of have, so you kind of have like a sandwich where the red stars are on top, but they're also on bottom of the rain. And, you know, Julie Ertz has been phenomenal in this tournament. Oh, oh if the red star, if the red stars reach the final, she's got to be in conversation for the best player in this tournament. Um, Turner Davidson looked pretty good, in, you know, in the game she played, the, the final game of the group stage. Sarah Gordon's been really good. Um, you know, Casey Short, with the exception of that third game, has been pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Morgan Gautreaux has been really good, but the indications are that she's not going to play in this game, which is a big problem. It is. But then you look at the offense. Um and then they, you basically saw them gamble, you know, in the offseason with all of these attacking players that they, you know, received in trades, hoping that one would hit and, you know, revitalize the career. And it's come up all snake eyes. Um, you know, Rachel Hill has been awful. Kaylee Watt hasn't been awful, but she hasn't been good. Um, and I think the thing that worries me more than anything else, especially with throw out um, is that Di Bernardo and Colaprico are not playing anywhere as well as they have in past seasons, and that's understandable with Colaprico because she's coming back from an injury. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, but I mean, but even before that, you know, Yuki Nagasato it, it has been really, really poor, uh, and I just think that if Chicago scores first, they're going to win. I think they can buckle down and end up winning, which, you know, I'm a little wary of just because they, they're giving up a lot in terms of chances. But I think at the same time, they rotated a lot in the group stage. Uh, this team is chasing the game. If they fall behind early and they have to chase with their lineup of really disappointing attacking players, I don't think they're going to get it done. So to me, you know, and we'll get to this when I get to predictions, but. It's all about who scores first in this game. All about it. No doubt about it. Um, so you brought up Sarah Gordon. So I, I just want to talk about her a little bit. You know how you mentioned like West Ball, West Ball and her continued development before? Sarah Gordon's development from year after year after year has been phenomenal. Phenomenal. I mean, Sarah Gordon early on in this league was a capable sub fullback. Uh, to play against a really fast player and try to shut her down almost in the old school 1v1 marking way. That was her strength. And she has become an absolute complete, complete player, leader, play central, play wide. I mean, when we make our list of, wow, how about that player at the end, which I'd love us to do like from each team, Sarah Gordon has to be talked about for her development. So I'm glad you mentioned her because I, I just think she's been great. Um, I, you know, I have really, and, and people, you know, may disagree. I think Kaylee Watt is just a step from breaking out. Like you keep seeing it, you keep seeing that moment. And I almost feel like there have been multiple times that she's taken one extra touch before shooting and then it gets blocked. And I feel like she's trying to be perfect and do everything exactly right with no mistakes. And she just has to let loose and shoot. She's just got to go for it. 
And you see that a lot of times, you know, forwards have to play very free. And she looks like she just wants to be so perfect that helps so much that she's not playing very free. But I could see her breaking out of that. In the end, uh, I still think it's Ertz's goal to score. I really do. I think um, I think it's going to be a slow-paced game. I think it's going to be a cagey game. I don't think it's going to be exciting at all. And it's going to be about that one goal, as you said. Um, and for me the best player on the field scores that goal. All right. So before we get to a prediction, let's talk about OL rain a little bit. Uh, so draw with sky blue loss to the dash win over the Royals and then draw with Portland. Um, again, they're the other team. We don't have a ton of stats on right now. Um, but again, like with sky blue, you don't really need a ton of stats to see that they have not been really that great to watch. Um, and I mean, to me, kind of the same thing with Skyloo too, is some of the, some of the decisions in terms of, um, you know, selection, like why hasn't Alana Cook played more? I know they had to keep her out that last game so she wouldn't get booked. Um, but I mean, you know, they, they were rotating even before then, um, I think the thing that I, that I really questioned is, you know, you're playing Michelle Betos in that fourth game when it seemed like Casey Murphy was the undisputed starter coming yes. into the tournament. So now we're coming into this this knockout game, and I don't know which goalkeeper is going to start. And, you know, it's not like Betos has done anything wrong to, you know, basically throw herself out of the mix for the, for that starting job now. Um, you know, Casey Murphy, I don't think has been great in this tournament, but, you know, it seems like you're creating a problem there. And, I mean, even beyond that, it just seems like there's not the fire that was there last year when they were basically overcoming the odds via injury. Right. Blackco, and I think that's that's kind of been one of the complaints, you know, where's the urgency? Um, and I don't know. I mean, to me, the offense has just been really, really hit or miss. Um, it's been more miss, you know. Um, you know, I think Yuka Mickey's had her moments, but we were expecting Darian Jenkins to have a kind of a breakout after playing well in Australia. Hasn't happened. Jody Taylor hasn't really provided much. Um, you know, Bethany Balser, um, you know, hasn't matched her rookie form. And, you know, I, I just, if this team can't find another gear in the knockout round, they're not going to advance. I agree. I mean, yes, if I was going to describe their play, I would say absolutely zero urgency. They look like they're going through a possession training session on just keeping the ball. And listen, there is nothing wrong with saying we're a possession team. Awesome. But possession without a purpose means zero and we're seeing this more and more in high level soccer it used to be the most important side of the game was possession everyone talked about who possessed the ball if you outpossess the other team you almost always won that is absolutely not true anymore um you know you could see it in you know check out um the world cup some world cup finals check out france in the world cup final versus croatia check out numerous games uh, in the Women's World Cup. Check out France, USA in the Women's World Cup. 
It is not a sport anymore where you have to have the ball. It's about when and how you have the ball. And unfortunately, this is a team that looks like they think they're going to win by just having it. However, now that I've said that, I mean, look, Taylor, Spencer, Momiki, um, Jenkins. I mean, this is some attacking talent, right? So, uh, Balser, of course, I'm sorry. When you look on paper, this is still a team that you just think, man, they should be dangerous in the attack. They can get after you. So I guess my question is, have they learned? Because I will tell you, I think if they are a team that gets urgency suddenly on paper, they're a team that could be in the finals absolutely for sure. So I think our prediction, for me at least, has 100% to do with are they going to have that urgency? Are they going to still sort of sleepwalk through the game just trying to pass? All right. That being said, you want to make your prediction? Oh, man. I, I'm almost talking myself into the rain now because you're right that Chicago not only has not produced, but they've gotten really lucky not to give up more goals. But, I mean, Ertz is just I, – I, I have trouble going against Ertz in the big game. Um, so my problem right now, Chris, is I want to say one nothing Chicago, but when I look at the talent that the rain has, it's hard to imagine them not scoring. So um, I'm going to call that Chicago finds an early goal because they shoot more. The rain tie it up, and Julie Ertz scores – in the 84th to 85th minute off of a set piece. Two to one Chicago. I mean, the thing with me is it's not hard to imagine the rain not scoring because they haven't done it in three or four games. (laughs) Um, Funny thing is I was all set to to pick the rain up until like the five minutes that we we started talking about Chicago and you mentioned, you know, being the best player on the field. I'm like, you know, in a game when all other things are, are generally even, uh, you know that that's usually a good, good, uh, good determinant. So I'm going to go Red Stars one nil off of, of a okay. set piece, uh, and I, I predict we'll all want to burn the footage of this game afterward because it's not going to be worth watching. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting sporting thought though that you and I just had, which is. Um, it's it's what we've seen in athletics where the personality of one player is so powerful and what not only she or he brings, but what they do to the rest of the team can literally be the tipping point. Um, and, and I know it's something you and I both believe in and that you see with teams at all levels. And so, you know, I'm with you. I just, I just in the end, if you want me to go for, I don't know, flip a coin, Nope, Julie Ertz is one on uh, is on one of the teams. So I, I think it's an interesting thing about sports, and so we'll see how it goes. I think the funny thing too is I'm, my mind might be a little different if Jess Fishlock had played more than just that last game, right? But I mean, you know, when when she's not played that full complement or near that full complement of group stage games, you know, it's really tough for me to kind of believe she's going to have that huge impact. I agree. I mean, because she has one of those personalities also, right? Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, the thing is, you know, we've seen this league. The meta is that central midfielders run this league. 
if you don't have quality central midfield players, you are going to lose and lose a lot in this league. And that's what separated, you know, teams like the Courage and the Thorns play, with players like yep. O'Sullivan and Mewis and Horan, um, you know, Zerboni at times. You know, those have been the players that have made the biggest impact, in my opinion. Um, and I mean, and well, the thing is, we don't know where we don't know where Earth is going to play, uh, especially if Nagasato and Gatro are both out, as we've been led to believe. Right. Um, you know, we don't know how they're going to line up. Um, but overall, I think I just think the Red Storms are going to win one nil. Okay. All right, so, do so we have any different? I guess it's. Um... I think we I think we differed on. Dash Royals. Oh, because I went with the penalty kicks for the dash. Yeah. Uh, Right. So, that being said, uh, let's pick our two teams that are going to be in the final. I'm picking the Courage and Spirit. Uh, Well, I mean, I'm certainly picking the Courage. Um, You're that clear that you're picking the Spirit. I mean, I mean, that was fast, man. I just, I just, you know, I okay, think, give me your scores. I, I think the Red Storm. Give me your scores. Uh, courage over the Royals. Um, I, I have no idea. Just a, a very round and dominant number. Yeah. Uh, I'll go have, courage over Houston two nothing. And then I have the spirit over Red Stars. Uh, let's say one nil. Okay. I agree with that one. I'll go one. I'll, I, yeah, one nothing. Yep. So and now then, we're in a final with North yeah, Carolina and, and the Spirit. Uh, I predict encourage 3-0 in a game that should be 5-0, but for uh, Bledsoe's great goalkeeping, I just I just think the Courage are just going to, you know, I mean, let's say this about the Courage. When they get to a final, they don't mess around. They lay down a marker and they make an impact, and I just think it's going to be another example of that. Yeah, I had 3-0 also, actually. I, that's exactly the score I have. Again, uh, um, you know, it might sound strange that we're predicting the biggest in the final, but I agree. I think that those players will just show up. I just think it's a bad matchup for Washington. The only bad matchup they have is North Carolina, um, and they just run into it again. And I think that will change over the next few years, but as of right now, it's a really bad matchup. The, those wide spaces that Washington can't send anybody forward in that game. They cannot do their possession with high fullbacks. They're going to have to keep four back. It's just such a difficult matchup for them, not being able to get fullbacks into the attack. Yep. All right. Uh, so that is our uh, end of us field challenge cup knockout round preview. Uh, so, Hopefully, we get some exciting games in the knockout stage. It's been a little tough to get through some of these group stage games, but hopefully everybody raises their game uh, for these final sets of games. Uh, we'll probably be back sometime um, you know, in the next couple weeks with a, with a wrap-up uh, you know, of the Challenge Cup. And after that, uh, we have no idea because there's probably not going to be a college season. Probably not going to be interact soccer <laughs> for an age. Um, you know, like I said, you know, as I'm saying, you know, enjoy these next seven games because we may not have like women's soccer again until April and that if we're lucky. Um, so enjoy it. Um, 
but for John Lipsitz, I'm Chris Anderson. Thank you for listening to the Woso Independent Podcast.